Welcome, everyone. It is fabulous again to be with you here. It's Dr. Fred, and welcome to another broadcast, which is really called True Voice with Dr. Fred. And I just want to tell you something that I've learned about myself in the last couple of days. Um, you know, I've been trying to think about how to market myself or how to like, you know, make a living out of this or like what I'm going to do when I grow up. Like, how how am I going to like make some sense out of this world? How am I going to be able to be aligned with what I say and what I do and have that be consistent with the work that I do? You know, and I, I realize that probably everyone is asking that kind of question and that most people in the world are actually not living the life that's aligned with who they are. Most people, you know, aren't loving their jobs. Now, if you're loving your job, that's fabulous and you should keep doing it. But I mean, loving your job, like actually, you know, doing in the world that which matters to you, like stepping into that true voice. And so I was wondering, you know, like, how do I do that? Like, do I post into Instagram or do I post into Twitter or do I post into LinkedIn, you know, um, or maybe Facebook or do I start my own community or do I send out newsletters or do I send out email? And even if I did all those things, what would I say that I am? Like, what would, how, what's, what problem do I solve? What solution do I walk with? <clears throat> and I can get confused, sort of, as they say, like wrapped around the axle. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I do. All I really do, all I really represent, all I really am, all I've really been since I arrived on the planet, really, at that very second, is somebody who represents bringing forth true voice. Now, I haven't always been good at it. And there's times that I was living life that was completely like inauthentic or inconsistent with who I know myself to be. And that was even as a doctor. So let me tell you a little bit about that. I was born to a family that was in a fair amount of chaos, a fair amount of disarray. I had two brothers. They were older than me. You know, one was 10 years older than me. The other was 14 years older than me. And just to be honest, they're still, you know, somehow 10 and 14 years older than me. And uh, I was expected to bring some joy, peace and happiness to a family that was in disarray and chaos. And so from that very first second, I've been on a full time job to do that with people. And I think I was probably pretty successful at doing that with people and to a point and probably not so long, maybe a couple of years later, my brother started becoming annoyed with me. But I think that's just a, a talk for another another uh, broadcast into the future. But, you know, my brothers got annoyed with me. But I'll tell you, I just became so enchanted and so um, amused by this whole idea of communication and I just saw people talking and listening to each other and then stuff would get done. And I just thought that's what I want to do for my life is be a great communicator. I expected to get that from conventional education. You know, I was already precocious as a child, so I had already knew how to write and, and read and even do a little math in kindergarten. And, you know, these kids are picking their nose and, and throwing blocks and I want to read Henry Huggins. But the truth is, I was picking my nose and throwing blocks, but I did want to read Henry Huggins. And I just wanted to learn how to communicate. And over the next several years in conventional education, it really got more and more constricted, more and more contracted. I, the thought that school was bringing forth some sort of open discourse wasn't at all being realized. And each time I graduated in junior high and high school, even when I went to college at the University of Michigan, it got worse. It seemed like open discourse was discouraged. 
So I dropped out of college um, and I, uh, you know, went to Berkeley where I could, Berkeley, California, took a bus all the way from Detroit to Berkeley so I could like find my life, you know, put my act together. And I had a great summer in Berkeley, but I didn't have a job. And I felt like, well, I probably should go back and use my brain a little bit, get a job, and then I can go figure out what my life is about. So I went back to study computers. Um, it turns out in 1979, there was only one computer in all of the state of Michigan. It was a two-acre facility on the campus of the University of Michigan there where I was going to school. And we had punch cards, which is punch, 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 punch. And then we would turn them in. And if the program ran, yay. But it only, you know, most of the times it crashed. And they would tell you which card it crashed on. Then you'd have to recorrect the deck. That didn't seem like a job I wanted to do for my life either, even though, you know, we go fast forward. All we're doing is computers these days. But so they were right that it was a good plan, but it wasn't the way I wanted to go. So I dropped out again. And then I began to communicate and um, I began to communicate with these kids that I, I got a job at a state hospital working as a child care worker. I really, really enjoyed uh, that job. Um, and the thing I hated was the way psychiatry was treating the kids because it was inhumane. I mean, essentially, without going into too much detail, if Johnny was up too late or Jimmy and Timmy were getting into a fight, the doctor would come down, write something, you know, with his with his um, weapon called the pen. And then we would have to go find Johnny and hold him down while we jammed him full of an injection of very strong sedative uh, medication. And if he stayed quiet in a stupor for the next 12 or 24 hours, we would call that a success story. And I just had that being completely barbaric and unacceptable. So I decided I would go back to school one more time. And it's time to bring, um, you know, communication into mental health where it belonged. And then there was lots of changes, you know, um, while I was in school, Prozac got, in, uh, got introduced and things just changed drastically where psychiatry became a biological field that became a field that was more based on this notion of chemical imbalances. And now here I was having gone to school so I could bring non-medical treatments uh, into the world of mental health. And I was being asked and counted on to write prescriptions. You know, if you ask somebody, what's the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist, they'll tell you that a psychiatrist writes prescription. And that was me. So over the next 30 years, I wrote over 100,000 prescriptions. Now, each one of those were kind of inconsistent with who I knew myself to be. So I was living a massively duplicitous life at work, not to mention some duplicity in my home life as well. And things were just out of balance. And, you know, my life was kind of miserable, even though I, you know, held my own um, because I each and every day my soul was sacrificing because I was not aligned with my true self. In 2006, I started making some significant changes in that area and really began to bring my true voice forward. I did something that was quite radical. I started taking some of my patients actually off of medicine. I know that sounds like crazy, but because doctors aren't taught how to do that, but they weren't getting that much better and they were interested in coming off. And sure enough, when I took them off, they got better. Now, this isn't true for everyone. And I don't want to even go on the air here and talk that everyone should come off their medicine. Not at all. If you're taking medicine and you have a diagnosis that's working for you and your life is actually moving ahead positively and you have finally found a place where you can be functional based on the treatment that you're receiving, please understand that I respect that totally. And I want you to continue doing that. I'm not asking you to change that. And I'm not even asking you to change your life if, you, if none of that is true. I'm just telling you a story of how my life went. Because after that point, I began to reconnect with people to really see the value of communication, connection, creativity, conversation as a source of all healing of all conditions, man really began to see people 
um, for who they were. And the amount of healing that happens when one connects and resonates with another is, is just astonishing, remarkable, beautiful. And that's what I've been focusing my life on as a healer since, since around that time of 2006, becoming more and more entrenched in this idea that I can coach people or I can, you know, basically I don't, I don't even diagnose people anymore. I, uh, there's, there's no reason to diagnose. I don't have it that I have some, that I'm better or that I'm different. We all have the same diagnosis. It's called being a human. And this is a trying, challenging life that we're living in. And some of us have certain strengths in some areas and certain weaknesses in others. And that's just the way it is to be human. Now, that's just a format to start from. Again, if you're certain, if you're entirely certain that you have a psychiatric disorder, that is completely fine with me. I, I don't, I, I've diagnosed, you know, again, tens of thousands of people with, that, with uh, mental illness or mental illness diagnoses. However, I don't use that as my orientation anymore. I now just simply look across, usually in a screen these days, at people and just assume that they are just people who are struggling and working just like I am to, in this challenging, desperate, occasionally desperate world that we're living in, trying to put one foot in front of the other and make some sense. And, and most people, you know what they want more than anything? They want to be heard. That's what people want. They want to be heard. You want to be heard. You want to be loved. You actually want to be listened to and connected with. That's what we want more than anything. And it's really great because that's what's going to be needed is we are going to have to speak our true voice so that we can be heard, so that we can deal with some of the calamities and threats that humanity is facing this very moment. Uh, that includes everything from, you know, the medical virus to the climate uh, change issues to racism or sex trafficking or even war in Europe or anywhere, um, in order to get on the other side of that, we're going to have to bring our true voice forward. We actually are going to have to bring our true voice forward. So that's what I now get to be. I get to be somebody who's much more aligned with what I came on the earth to do, which was to help others bring their true voice forward. And in those years as a psychiatrist, I was struggling to get that done, but it was, you know, counterbalanced by most of my patients really just wanting me to give them a diagnosis and medicine. So Find Your True Voice became my newest brand on the back end of Welcome to Humanity, which is the greatest, you know, that's the overarching brand, the Welcome to Humanity brand, self-explanatory. It just means that, you know, everything that's going on is a human experience. And I really now just love assisting people to help them find their true voice. And I do that individually. I do that with groups. I can do that, um, you know, in all sorts of methods with workshops and webinars that I've led um, and with classrooms, um, as well as with writings and readings. So my most recent book, and, and this will surprise you all, I'm sure, is called Find Your True Voice. And it's Find Your True Voice by Dr. Fred Moss. And it's a fun book to have written, goes a little bit more in depth in the technology or the methodology that we use. I'll give you a little hint. Authenticity is valued much greater than agreement, meaning what we want from somebody is actually their own honest, authentic self, even if they're in disagreement with what we're saying in our content. So most people don't really realize that. They think that we appease people when we agree with them, even if it's non-genuine. And we humans can read through that. It's not very convincing when we uh, pretend to agree. 
but it can be very convincing to even have somebody diametrically opposed to you in a particular topic speaking their own true voice authentically. Have you ever noticed that you, if it's coming from the heart, even someone who disagrees with you profusely can be heard and respected? So that's one piece that's really important. Another piece that's really important is the magic ingredient to speaking a true voice is in the world of listening. Like not only listening to what the person you're with is saying, but what are they not saying? What's in the unspoken or what's in the community? What's in the conversation? What's being asked to be moved forward? So I want to open that up today. I, I decided to come on alone. I am. Um, you know, I was uh, don't have a guest. I think next week I'll put together a guest for y'all so that we can really have great conversation. I love podcasting. I've done about 200 podcasts, uh, probably 50 of them as a guest and 150 of them as a host. You can find those at uh, welcome to humanity.net forward slash podcast. And you can also find them on uh, Spotify and iTunes and other uh, other places as well. And my newest podcast is really this is an offshoot of it is it's called True Voice with Dr. Fred, because that's really what I'm up to. So I invite you to take a look at areas in your life where you're presently being inauthentic. And it doesn't have to be uh, bad, you know, it doesn't. Like even if you're saying things that you don't mean, or even if you're sandbagging and not saying things that you should, uh, it's okay. It really is. Um, humans have learned over time, our culture, our, you know, our, our civilization has kind of taught us that there is some payoff in pretending to be someone that you're not. Uh, there's this idea that you're protecting yourself if you mm, pretend to be somebody uh, that you're not, that you're you know, not opening up your heart to being heartbroken or canceled or, or, or censored or hated, or trolled, or all those things that can happen in social media. Um, so there's that, but there's more than that. We are learning that each of us have done that. You know, as a child, when we screamed, we got a bigger lollipop. Or when we told a lie and said that our sister did it rather than us, she would get in trouble and we could actually be spared. And I, I did that, I know, I had a younger sister as well. So now I'm asking you, Given the state of the world, I have a couple questions. Number one, what is it that prevents you from being your true self, really? In relationships, in your work, in your, uh, in, in, in your daily activities, in your interactions with both strangers or people that you know and love, there are times when you're speaking and saying things that are not necessarily aligned with who you really are. What causes that because I really have it that we all just really want to be heard. We all want to be loved. So what causes us to stop short of saying what it is we really mean? You see, without a voice, you'll never be heard. And without a true voice, you will never be known. Now, without a voice, you can be heard for sure. And that's happening all over the world. But with a true voice, you can find healing and peace and love. And in fact, I hold this to be true. True voice is all that's needed to end all wars, internal and external. It's the only thing that is absolutely required. Now, it isn't, I'm not saying that if you bring true voice, war ends, but the only way we're going to get to the end of the war or any of our wars 
is by speaking our truth and then acknowledging from there what needs or can be done. So for this show, I'm opening up the airwaves, and I've uh, actually never done this before, so I'm pretty excited about it. Um, the numbers to call if you want to call in are 1-888-627-6008. Uh, that's the uh, toll-free number. I guess there's a direct number as well, 323-744-4831. Let me go over those numbers again. It's 1-888-627-6008. And what I'm looking for today is if you want to answer the question of what is preventing you from speaking your true voice, and then we might be able to go through a conversation that actually leaves you more empowered than when the conversation started. So my interest is to have a conversation with you and leave you, you the listener, or you my partner on, in crime here on the show, with a greater sense of empowerment, hope, and faith in, into the future than you had when you called. These are difficult times. And the number one answer that people give as to why they don't speak their true voice tends to be the word fear. And there is a fear culture out there. And it, it is silencing many people. Um, some people are being forced to be silent. That's, you know, this true voice is not a God-given right. It's actually something that needs to be preserved. This uh, freedom of speech, if you will, this capacity to speak one's own mind and to do so in a progressive way is some, it's a beautiful thing, but it has to be sustained. It has to be preserved. So if there's anyone who would like to speak, um, maybe uh, calling in would be a good way. Um, if there is anyone, I suspect that my producer will let me know if anyone has called in. Um, but I'll just continue at this point. <clears throat> um, here's the thing. I wrote a book. This book is called Find Your True Voice. And I, it's my second book. The other book I wrote was Creative Eight. And I want to talk a little bit about the Creative Eight. So the Creative Eight was really, uh, it was written several years ago. And it's about other ways to communicate that aren't just vocal talk and listen. So using the Creative Eight, you, would, uh, you might consider art, music, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, gardening, that's eight. And then there's a couple others, photography. Um, and then the final one, which is the one that if you don't want to do any of these first ones, these first nine or 10, uh, it's called helping anybody do anything. So we're really looking at service as a way of con contribution. Those of you who are service oriented in your day-to-day -day activities, already know that there is a sense of joy and gratitude and groundedness and satisfaction that comes from being of service that is different than anything else that us humans do. Like when we are of service, when we actually help another person do something, when we and it can be anything, it can be sharpening a pencil, getting groceries, shoveling snow, it can be anything. It can be answering a question, you know, turning on the dishwasher. It can be anything. Um, there is a sense of satisfaction that comes from helping another. Now, what's kind of interesting is we're not very good at asking for help, even though we know inherently that we love helping people. So that's a weird dichotomy, right? Like, like we would rather think that we are burdens 
when there is a part of us that knows in our own human nature that we're almost doing other people a favor when we ask them to help us. Like everyone wants to help people, but very few people have this so-called courage to ask for help. So one of the things that might be coming out of true voice, of this whole idea of finding your true voice, is learning and agreeing and being with the notion that sometimes we really could use some help. In these difficult times, it's a little harder to ask for help. It's not easy to assemble. It's not easy to find people that are aligned with you. You know, there's been enough issues that have happened recently that you're not even sure what your stand is, how it will fit with one of your friends or one of your colleagues or one of your uh, family members or, or even strangers. So we, again, sort of choose to keep our words in our mouth. But more than anything, we really could ask each other for help. Now, it's scary, right? It's like if if I ask for help and I'm, you know, I might get rejected or people might think I'm a burden or I might be too much on somebody. But I'm asking you again, one more question. The first question was, what stops you from speaking your voice? The next question is, what stops us from asking for help? It seems like there's not very much evidence in reality that asking for help is seen as creating a burden. But we're all afraid that if we ask for help, we'll be seen as a burden. I have some ideas on this that I'd love to share. Um, gosh, I really would love to speak with uh, one of the listeners, but I'll be glad to speak my next section here, which is what stops us from asking for help is this, again, a very, very old conversation that's going on as a child. At some point, <laughs> we think we have to start doing things ourselves. We are taught the value of independence quickly as an early child, like go ahead and, you know, learn how to do that yourself, learn, learn how to make, you know, breakfast or learn how to get dressed yourself or go to the toilet yourself. Like learning how to do things yourself is given a, a whole lot of accolades. Eventually, we ask for help and we're turned down and it does feel like we're a burden because in reality, it's hard being a parent and it's hard being someone who cares for someone. And on occasion, it's overwhelming. And we are so sensitive as kids to overwhelming our would-be assisters, would-be you know, people who would assist us. And we get a taste of being a burden. Then we carry that taste for the rest of our life. Essentially, this, the crack in the cement grows larger, and we continue to think that we're a burden or we might be a burden. It's such a strange dichotomy because ultimately, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could just ask for help from the experts who know or who do things better than we do and then be willing to accept it and be gracious about it and not just have to put up with people who have to, you know, kind of intrude. When I say help anybody do any, anything, you actually got to go find somebody who needs help and then take the risk of intruding and asking them if you can help them. Wouldn't it be great if we were a little more open about asking for the help that we really know we could want and need? Some of us are in relationships where, you know, helping each other is part of the, the core values of the relationship. 
I know that uh, my wife and I are in a relationship like that. And um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not anywhere near as good as she is in, in containing and maintaining that relationship. But having somebody there who's really ready to help me is such an extraordinary, such an extraordinary experience. And it breeds me wanting to help back. So I want to be of assistance almost in reciprocation, but it's more about that contagious nature of authenticity. The idea is that if someone is helping me, I get to see and feel and be with the value of simply helping another person. And then I get to try it out for myself by helping that person back or another person and then get to experience the beauty of being of service. It is an extraordinary experience. Now, we don't have any callers in. Is that right so far? All right. I guess not. All right. Well, then, you know, I'm going to go to the next space. Um, I was talking a little bit about how to market myself, right? Like, what, what do I do that's valuable? I do this true voice thing. What else do I do? Well, I've been a doctor for a long time. And today I went and uh, applied for a job, um, a doctor job. Now, I haven't done a doctor job in a long while. And it turns out that I was overqualified for the job. <laughs> so I drove for an hour and 15 minutes and they had a brief interview. And we both came to the agreement that it wasn't going to work out for me to work there. And it was fine to learn that they were looking for somebody with a little, actually a little less qualifications than me. So I drove away and wondered, felt like it was uh, maybe a loss or a sadness. Instead, I was able to what dislodge or disengage that negative experience and start realizing that in fact it was a learning experience like it's okay to learn what doesn't work it's just as valuable to learn what doesn't work than what works now a lot of people don't know that you know they think that if something doesn't work you're supposed to feel bad about it and if something does work you're supposed to feel good about it and that something not working is is equal to something wrong as it turns out, is something not working is just as valuable as something working because it's data, it's information, it's, it, it allows us to redirect our intentions in an area of life that actually can work. Now, it's not like we're looking for places that don't work, although it can be helpful to find all the places that don't work because just use the other ones and it will work. Our intention is to find programs or find patterns or find lifestyles or friends or conversations that allow us to be powerfully aligned with our own core values and then deliver that message openly into a world that is eagerly willing and interested uh, to receive it. Now, no simple task. It just isn't. I notice when I'm talking here today that another thing is not simple. Talking alone, talking to a group, I imagine there's some number of people who are listening to this right now, talking to a group and just like spewing ideas or speaking to my truth isn't as easy as speaking to another person. Now, not only will that other person take up airtime if I have nothing to say, but when I'm with another person, I get the, the opportunity to discover new things. 
when I'm with myself, the opportunity to discover new things is fairly nil. I have been with myself the whole time. And me and me, we know everything about each other. So it's very rare that me and me would come up with something that's accurate, that's actually new. But when I'm with other people, any other person, it can be any age, any level of intelligence, any experience, any job, any nationality, any anything, then I have the opportunity to actually learn new things. This is a spectacular experience as well, because I can't learn new things being by myself. Now I can learn that, you know, that there's like a, part of my bed that sticks out that stubs my toe. I can learn things like that, sure. But what I can't learn is ideas and open discourse, those things that I have been committed to being really great at and continue to struggle and try to improve each and every day. So today, I ask you, Who are you ready to talk to? Who in your life have you been kind of avoiding? Who have you been afraid to share with? Or to ask for help, or maybe even ask for forgiveness, or to forgive them? Is there anyone in your life that you could learn from by having a conversation? Is there anyone in your life that you could teach by calling them and connecting? Let me suggest that over time, we have become more complacent. We as a human family. We've also come to this idea that, well, it doesn't matter anyway. So some idea of resignation. We have come to the end at times, the end point of thinking that it doesn't matter anyways. And maybe it doesn't matter that much, or maybe it does. No matter how much time we have left here on the planet, and we might have a long time, we might have a short time, I don't know, it's one of the things is we don't know, I invite you to reach out and take incremental steps with the people in your world that you haven't spoken with for a while, or you haven't spoken your true voice to. Now, this is more than just spewing or climbing to the top of the mountain and screaming. This is about connecting and resonating with another person. Who in your life could benefit from you contacting them? What is the cost of not contacting these important people in your life? Where are you losing? Is it in money? Is it in self-esteem or personal value? Is it in your job? Have you, you know, not advanced as fast as you know you could? Or is it in your relationships, primarily, your relationships with your family or your relationships with your significant other? Where is the cost of not connecting? 
How large is that cost? And give yourself some acceptance, forgiveness, and compassion over making that decision to stay quiet up until now or to be kind of obtuse or not speak your truth. See, we all learned early on that it does pay dividends at times to be someone different than we are. Now, as we look at it now, we should know that being different, pretending to be someone you're not, in order to protect the person that you are, is just simply ludicrous. You might hear my cat in the background. My cat, Valentino, does have a true voice. And when Valentino's upset, or when he's hungry, or he just wants petting, this is what he does. It's almost like he can hear the energy, and he comes around and just, you know, cranks out a meow or two. Yep, there he is right there. And come on, Valentino, if you want to meet the people, I'll show, I'll show you off. Gorgeous cat. He's a blue Russian, so he's one of the prettiest beings I've ever seen. And his heart is just gold. Why do I bring in my cats? I don't know if you, any of you have pets, but probably many of you do. So dogs and cats specifically teach us how to explore and be with unconditional love. Now, that's an often batted around phrase. But what I'm saying here is we actually get to be of service and be serviced by these animals, these pets, these pets that have been bred for that purpose. I know my cats actually teach me every day what's important in life. I mean, if you've, if any, those of you, I'm a, I, I love cats, so I have three of them. And, you know, they spend the day, some of them lounging or eating and going into the litter box and then lounging again, finding a space on the windowsill or in the, you know, on a couch. And generally these cats are more comfortable just day to day than I've ever been in my life for even a minute. And then they're funny, you know, they play with each other, chase each other for no reason or chase little dust balls or, uh, you know, <clears throat> become jealous of the birds flying outside um, and, you know, consider wanting to get one someday. Um, they are funny. They're just super funny and humorous. And they bring joy to life in a, in, in a world where it seems that joy is being choked out if we don't actively pursue it. So what are some ways to pursue joy? Let's ask some more questions here. Number one, what are, how do you pursue joy? Like, what do you do? to go get and go find joy. Um, do you pursue joy by mm, exercising or maybe taking walks in nature? Or do you pursue joy by cooking or writing or gardening? Or you do, do you pursue joy by just meditating or sitting or maybe building a fire? Or do you pursue joy by helping others or by sleeping? Or maybe you pursue joy by, uh, I don't know, some people like to use substances. Is that joyful? Or some people have their own addictions. Now, we're going to look at this interface between joy and addictions. And I use that phrase addiction very, very carefully. 
Um, I don't know if I like the word, but it's a word that most of the community uses. And, you know, as a psychiatrist, there's multiple different ways to look at that addictions and dependencies. Um, addictions tend to be something that we do that we barely can stop doing and that takes a toll on our life that we otherwise would be better off without something like that. Like it's actually causing some degree of damage or some degree of, of um, uh, intrusion from the things that we should otherwise be doing to care for ourselves or care for our loved ones. Now, they tend to be very joyous. They tend to bring some degree of a bump of it. May, you know, some people call it a dopamine bump. But in the end, they're addicting in their own right. And we start doing them instead of doing other things. One of the places where I think almost the entire community could be called dependent is in this idea of our pixelated flat screens that we spend so much time in front. When I was first graduating as a psychiatrist back in, um, I guess this would be in 1980, let's see when it would be, probably 1989 or 1990, early in my residency, if we would see someone talking to a TV like I'm doing right now, uh, they would immediately be hospitalized. No, it would just mean that they were psychotic if they were seeing the TV talk to them. These days, you can almost get hospitalized if you don't know how to talk to a TV. Even though it's the same symptom, we now believe that when a TV is talking to us, it really is. So that we have someone over there and we call that a relationship or a business, you know, a business partnership. And it's now called a communication, a partnership, a relationship, when in the past it was called psychosis. That's only 30 years that that transformation has taken place. So if I was a Martian or a fly on the wall, it's like, you know, I land here 30 years ago and I learned that if you're talking to a TV, you're going to get hospitalized. And now I learned that if you're talking, if you're not talking to a TV, there's something wrong with you. Life is funny, and we like to give ourselves some idea that we should be able to keep up with all of these changes in our thinking and the prevailing conversation that supports societal norms. But in reality, life isn't that way. You know, we don't really have a good handle on what normal is. We really don't. I mean, some of us pretend like we're normal. Some of us pretend like we're normal and the rest of the world isn't. Or some of us, quite the opposite, present that we're abnormal and that the rest of the world is normal, but we're different than the rest of the world. I invite you to really get that all these things are just variables. And in reality, what's here is nothing less than each of us trying to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other as fellow human beings. From that, we can grow and understand the whole point of my basic company, which is the Welcome to Humanity brand. And when I say Welcome to Humanity, what I'm really speaking to is the notion that all human experiences are valuable, even the ones that are intolerable, definitely the ones that are uncomfortable, not that you should seek them out, the ones that are terrifying or miserable, no. You shouldn't seek them out. There's nothing desirable about them. But they are part of the flavor of life that we are offered in this really temporary transient experience that we have 
called life on this planet. So I invite you to really be able to embrace all of humanity. Again, it's not a matter of glorifying pain, not at all. Pain is very wicked and it's not desirable. We shouldn't, you know, most people really go out of their way to avoid massive pain, including myself. We're afraid of pain and afraid of misery and with good reasons because it's very uncomfortable. But if we can embrace all of humanity and all of humanity's experiences as being valuable, well, then we've taken a big step to accepting our brotherhood, our fellowship, I should say, even, you know, again, um, being, being sensitive with my words, brotherhood needs to become fellowship and even fellowship uh, has implications. And we have to be really careful these days about what we say and when we say it. Almost like I may have said things during this conversation, during this soliloquy that's now gone about 45 minutes, that might have offended somebody. And I would not have known that. I don't, I certainly didn't say anything in order to offend somebody, but it could happen. And so what's the way around that? Well, it takes two, but this is the way. If I offended somebody, or if I hurt somebody, or if I disappoint somebody, or if I let somebody down, I can actually fix that. And the way that I fix it is acknowledging that they felt left down, left down, let down by me, and then apologizing for letting them down. Yes. And then cleaning up whatever mess was left by me letting them down. And then declaring out loud that I'm not going to do that again. I have no intention of doing that again. When I go through that level, that little systematic level of dealing with me letting people down, I'm left whole again. I'm left with the possibility of starting over again. And that's really beautiful. Not everybody knows how to do that. And instead, we live with our blame and our shame. Having said all of this today, and it has been a joy to speak all of this, I again open up the floor to any listener who wants to call in. If there's anyone who's been listening to me the whole time, I'd love to hear comments uh, or any kind of questions, anything that you may have gotten from this, um, any kind of uh, feedback would be lovely. It's not required in any way, but it may be that it's like we also really start believing that we don't have anything to say. And it may be a function that there are some listeners out here who sort of wish that they could ask me something, but they're afraid or afraid of being, you know, misheard or uh, making a fool of themselves or, you know, embarrassing me or embarrassing themselves. And I invite you to really look at getting over that as well. Now, in this cancel culture, some people just take pride in being foolish and, you know, or in hurting other people. And so that is scary. Or some people hurt very easily. Uh, and you have to, again, be cognizant of that. But more than anything, if you take everything I said into consideration, this is an opportunity to, to take incremental steps towards becoming aligned with your true self. I'm going to close with what I've been doing these last few weeks. I think last week I told you I was running a summit. 
The summit's called We the People Summit, and you could find it, and it's still going on. It'll be the next one will be May seventh, and the one after that will be May twenty first. And what I'm the summit is geared towards putting together, assembling a group of amazing influencers, and asking them out loud what allowed them to become so influential. What I've learned by running this summit is that each and every one of us are influencers. Whether or not we have a million followers or a million dollars or anything like that doesn't really matter. When we open up our true voice and share it with another person, we have then indeed influenced that person, which then changes the world. Now, that may sound like it's a large statement, but it's actually true. When you come in touch with another person and bring that authentic self of yours forward, you open up for that person new ideas that uh, they otherwise didn't have, and the ripple effect can go on forever. You actually affect the future of that person, which affects the future of each and every person they run into and goes on and on like that. So the summit has been beautiful. We had great conversations. Maybe some of you were on it. It was last Saturday, and I invite you to join us on May, 20, on May 7th and May 21st. You can register for the summit at wethepeoplesummit.online. That's wethepeoplesummit.online. And from there, it, you'll also see that there's a donation button. The donation button is allocating all the funds directly to the war-torn people in, in Eastern Europe who've been you know, forced to becoming refugees, have become homeless, have been devastated, facing death and maiming and catastrophe beyond uh, explanation and, frankly, beyond imagination for most of us. Our intention is to raise a million dollars for the people of Ukraine through the We the People Summit dot online, and we're well on our way to doing that, but we could certainly use further donations. So in the donation line, you will find at We the People Summit dot online, all you have to do is hit that donate button. It goes to a GoFundMe page, and I do invite you to donate uh, um, graciously. You know, if you only have a few dollars, that's great. If you have more than that, that's wonderful. My wife is 100% Ukrainian, so we have vetted out um, the allocation, uh, the company that's managing the allocation. It's called Razum, Razum for Ukraine, together with Ukraine. And uh, these funds are really going directly to those people. So that's very exciting to be able to contribute um, to the people that have been recently devastated in that war. It still looks like we have no callers today, so I, I think I'm going to start uh, really tapering off and ending, ending this conversation. I am going to say that somehow being a voice for helping people find true voice is a beautiful job, and at the same time, it can be lonely. So I'm looking for people who are ready to be part of the, the uh, <laughs> excuse me, the community of true voice finders, people who are committed to bringing forth their true voice and then also committed to authentic listening so that other people can find their true voice and so that we all can find healing and peace and love. Until then, I invite you to take those incremental steps, whether or not you join our community. 
The community is at true-voice.circle.so, true-voice.circle.so, and I do invite you to come join us. It is there where we are going to have VIP conversations where you'll get access to masterminds and webinars. You'll get access to, um, to workshops and uh, call-ins with me and my team to assist you in coming in touch with your true voice. In the meantime, walk on through the world. Give yourself the acceptance and forgiveness, the compassion that you deserve for becoming exactly who you've become. Give other people that same level of respect, honesty, forgiveness, acceptance, and compassion. It's especially difficult if you don't like somebody or if you disagree with them. On the other hand, just listening doesn't hurt anyone. As it turns out, no one I've ever known has ever got hurt listening to another person. Like you can't put your foot in your mouth. You can't actually insult someone. You can't actually get in trouble if all you're doing is listening. So I invite you to listen carefully, listen authentically, and bring that true self forward. For now, I am going to bid you farewell. It's been a beautiful opportunity to join. Thanks for letting me share my true voice this evening. It's been a great time, and I, I, I trust that, well, maybe you took something from this conversation that you can use in your life. If you would like to talk to me further, maybe get a little bit of, uh, maybe get a little of assistance in how better to find your true voice or how to apply that true voice, you can find me at my email, which is Dr. Fred, Dr. Fred at welcometohumanity.net. That's Dr. Fred at welcometohumanity.net. And I look forward to talking to any of you. Don't forget to, you know, actually take those steps to be with another. If you're interested in my book, there is a way to get my book by dialing into findyourtruevoicebook.com. If you do that and sign up, I'm going to send you a free copy of my book, findyourtruevoicebook.com. Please do that if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the methodology, and then we can talk afterwards, perhaps, if that's interesting to you as well. And now I'm going to bid you farewell. It's been a deep pleasure, a deep honor, and I have deep gratitude for being able to broadcast as far and wide as I have. Technology is amazing. However, it's really important that we do this together. And these conversations need to be dialogues and not monologues. So join up with your friends, join up with your family, deliver that true voice, find your new peace. Welcome to humanity. Welcome to your true voice. I'm sure that applause is waiting for you. And please accept my gratitude in advance for bringing your true voice forward into the world. With that said, I'm going to take off. I'll see you next week. Thanks for being part of the show. Take care, everyone. Bye for now.